Greetings, fellow captains, and welcome to episode 3 of Rank Amateur. Today we're featuring the Tier 6 non-premium U.S. Navy battleship USS New Mexico. I do apologize in the delay of publishing. I've been really busy over the past few days and wasn't able to read my, reach my normal publishing day of Thursday, so I hope this will sort of make up for that and that my very few listeners who are actually listening will not be too mad by that. But anyways, welcome to Rank Amateur. So USS New Mexico, lead ship of her class of New Mexico-class dreadnoughts, the U.S. Navy, built during World War I and served throughout World War II, scrapped a little bit after that. First we'll go over the history, then we'll go for a quick break, and most of you are probably slouching back in your chairs thinking, ah man, I gotta fast forward through another ad break? It's like everybody has an ad, and I hate to break it to you, but that's the only way we make excuse me, money around this place, so... Anyways, after that we'll go over its World of Warships performance where I have a little bit of a rant about the accuracy of the main battery guns to go over. And, yeah. Alright, so first a few quick notes on the ship's specifications. She was laid down on October 14th, 1915. She was launched on April 13th, 1917. And yes, that was a Friday the 13th. The ship was launched on Friday the 13th. However, she was commissioned on May 20th, 1918, so uh, the U.S. Navy was not exactly building ships quickly, because I guess they didn't need to. Um, she had a length of 624 feet, or 190 meters. She had a beam of 97 feet, 5 inches, or 29.7 meters. Her draft was 30 feet, or 9.1 meters. Her displacement was 32,000 tons. Her main armament was 12 356mm guns housed in four turrets. These were 14-inch guns for people who live in the U.S. like me. Her secondary armament was 14 125mm or 5-inch guns as built. Later, they put on four 75mm or 3-inch guns, but those were all removed in favor of more anti-aircraft guns later, which were too numerous to name in a specification sheet. Her torpedo armament was two 535mm torpedo tubes, one on each side. They were both fixed in place and submerged below the waterline, and these torpedoes were rarely used. Or Actually, they were never used on this ship, but they were rarely used in battleships that had them. Her machinery consisted of nine boilers sending power down four shafts, shafts excuse me, and producing 32,000 shaft horsepower. This was initially a turbo-electric drive, but I'll have more on that later. Uh, she was capable of a speed of 21 knots, which is pretty typical of U.S. battleships at the time. None of them were very fast and didn't light a candle to what the Japanese were building at the time. She had an endurance of 8,000 nautical miles at 10 knots, which was pretty typical of battleships at the time. Uh, her complement was 1,084 men. And now for her armor. The belt was 8 to 13.5 inches, or 203 to 343 millimeters. The barbettes were 13 inches, or 330 millimeters. 
the turret face was 18 inches, or 457 millimeters. The turret sides varied from 9 to 10 inches, or 229 to 254 millimeters. The turret roof was 5 inches, or 127 millimeters. The turret rear was 9 inches, or 229 millimeters. The conning tower was 11.5 inches thick, or 292 millimeters, and the decks were 3.5 inches, or 89 millimeters. So, there was a few interesting things about the design of this ship. The first of which being the difference in the gun calibers. Over the pen preceding Pennsylvania class, which had 45 caliber guns, I believe, the New Mexico had 50 caliber guns, which improved the accuracy, specifically at long ranges. The second thing that was different about the New Mexico class over the preceding Pennsylvania class was the addition of a so-called clipper bow, which is essentially a bow that kind of juts out or smoothly is sculpted to jut out in front of the waterline to improve sea keeping and reduce water spillage on the deck, or sea spray as they call it. And the third thing that was interesting about the New Mexico, or I guess USS New Mexico specifically, was the fact that it had turboelectric drive, which essentially meant that boilers would boil water, turn it to steam, and force it through a steam turbine, which turned an electric generator, which powered an electric motor that was actually connected to the shaft, and that turned the propeller and propelled the ship forward. This was an interesting design that was trialed on the Collier Jupiter, which would later be USS Langley, but it was proved to be unreliable and just not as good as the traditional thing of having a boiler connected to a steam turbine, which directly turned the shaft. And New Mexico was eventually reconverted back to the traditional drive mechanism in a later modification. So now to the history of the ship. So the history of the ship is actually quite interesting, in stark contrast to the ships from the two previous episodes. The first interesting thing is the fact that the ship was actually supposed to be named California, but was renamed New Mexico during construction. A little bit interesting, and a little bit of indecision by the U.S. Navy. Huh, that's kind of interesting, because I remember some indecision by the U.S. Navy in the St. Louis class before, in a previous episode. If you haven't seen that, or actually listened to that, go back and uh, listen to it. It's kind of interesting. Anyways, after her commissioning on May 20th, 1918, she went on sea trials in a shakedown cruise, pretty typical of most battleships, with Captain Ashley Herman Robertson in charge of the vessel. She formally joined the Atlantic Fleet then, and she also attended a naval review on December 26th of that year. Another interesting thing as in Mexico did was escort the steamer USS George Washington. The George Washington was carrying President Woodrow Wilson to the Versailles Peace Conference, which departed on January 15, 1919. After her escort duties, she encountered a sinking schooner and used the ship for target practice with her secondary 5-inch guns after taking the crew off, of course. I find that kind of interesting. Not every day you run into a sinking ship and play a little bit of Coast Guard Cutter and rescue the crew and then promptly sink it. Anyways, she shifted around various ports in the Atlantic before being named to the flagship of the Pacific Fleet, while still being in the Atlantic, on July 16, 1919. Then she proceeded through the Panama Canal and arrived at San Pedro 
on August 9, 1919. In 1922, she underwent an overhaul which removed two of her secondary guns. I believe they were the forward guns, and that was because they were too wet. Or, in normal speak, they had too much seawater when the waves would be anything but calm seas, rendering the guns unusable anyways. So they would just simply plate it over to prevent seawater from getting in and flooding the ship. Over the next decade or so, there was relatively... I guess nothing. There was really nothing that the New Mexico did besides training exercises and a few cruises to South America and Oceania. So it was pretty typical U.S. dreadnought uh, or U.S. World War I dreadnought business, just training, cruising around, burning coal or actually burning fuel oil and not doing much. Anyways, between 1931 and 1933, USS New Mexico was modernized at Philadelphia Harbor. Her propulsion was replaced with more reliable geared steam turbines, replaced that turboelectric drive that was just way too complicated and unreliable, and the Navy kept getting frustrated with it breaking down, so they just decided, you know what, we're done with this, and they replaced it. Along with that, her anti-aircraft suite was completely refitted and her superstructure completely remodeled. She then returned to the Pacific Fleet. In 1937, she took part in a training exercise that would help the Navy better determine how to fight in cold climates. So, more just uneventful training exercises and modernization, which is interesting because for those World of Warships players who are out there, you know the New Mexico as being, well, I guess what it is in World of Warships, but it actually looked much, much different before its refit. So their, quote, hull egg configuration is actually the modernized configuration. Anyways, back to history. On December 6, 1940, USS New Mexico was stationed in Pearl Harbor. And I bet a bunch of you are like, well, wait a second, New Mexico wasn't bombed in Pearl Harbor. It escaped that. It was one of the few U.S. dreadnoughts that wasn't damaged or sunk in Pearl Harbor. And yeah, that's completely true, because on May 20th, 1941, uh, she was stationed at Norfolk, Naval Station Norfolk, and which is in the Atlantic. So she was completely out of Pearl Harbor before the Japanese even neared the islands. On June 16th, she finally reached Norfolk, so two months after leaving Pearl Harbor, it just shows you how slow these things are. And she conducted neutrality patrols and escorted convoys around the Atlantic coast. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7th, USS New Mexico was immediately dispatched to the Pacific. Uh, yeah, so the ship's pretty slow, though. Said everybody on the New Mexico to the U.S. Navy, it's going to take us a while to get there. And the U.S. Navy is like, you should have been there yesterday. And, yeah, so, anyways, USS New Mexico was dispatched to the Pacific, and on December 10th, 1941, she collided with the freighter Oregon and accidentally sank it south of Nantucket Lightship. Oops. Uh, you ever notice how that happens a lot? It tends to happen in fog, and it was in plain day from what I know. But uh, USS Wisconsin actually, in the 1950s, collided with a destroy U.S. Navy destroyer. So I just think it's odd how these advanced ships that we have, they're really expensive battleships and other types of warships, can just collide with merchant ships on what seems to be like a monthly basis. 
kind of weird considering how much money we spent on these things, but yeah, who am I to judge? So she finally reached the Panama Canal on January 17th, 1942. 1942. So that's a month after, or actually over a month after she departed uh, from uh, where she was stationed in the Atlantic. And she's just getting to the Panama Canal. She's not even close to Pearl Harbor. Anyway, she was modified once again. And this time, all of her 125mm secondaries were removed in favor of even more anti-aircraft guns. While in Pud Puget Sound... Puget Sound... I can't pronounce it. Holy cow. <laughs> From May to August of 1942. She then made the long and very slow journey to Hawaii to finally start participating in the war. From December 6, 1942 to March 22, 1943, she escorted convoys between the Hawaiian Islands and the Fijian Islands. After training in the Hawaiian Islands, New Mexico was to take part in the Aleutian Islands campaign and promptly steam there. Promptly steam there, uh, slow boat to China style steam there, but okay, on May 17th. She shelled the island of Kishka on July 21st, which forced the Japanese to evacuate the island shortly after. After the Aleutian Islands were taken back, she steamed back to Puget Sound Navy Yard for yet more refits. So, I, I get this is an old battleship, but like, how many anti-aircraft guns do you have to put it on? Especially if uh, a few decades later, World of Warships is going to be like, yeah, you know all those uh, anti-aircraft guns? Yes, they don't exist. We're going to take them off so we can cram this ship in Tier 6. Anyways, she reported back to the Hawaiian Islands on October 25th, 1943 to train for the invasion of the Gilbert Islands. After a relatively short training period, the invasion began, and New Mexico shelled Makin Atoll. She also was involved with protecting transports, troops, supplies, and supply ships, along with aircraft carriers from aircraft, using her anti-aircraft armament that the Navy spent so much time and money on getting just right, like a Goldilocks sort of thing. <laughs> USS New Mexico was back in the Hawaiian Islands when the Gilbert Islands were captured on the 5th of December, 1943. So, um, finally in a eventful year for a battleship. Eventual 1943, I mean, rarely were these ships involved in ship-on-ship -ship combat, so this is about as eventful as any year is going to get, or at least that you would hope it would get, because any more eventful, then it's not good. <laughs> now for 1944. USS New Mexico took part in the invasion of the Marshall Islands starting on January 12, 1944. On January 31st and February 1st, USS New Mexico shelled Kowalajin and Ebai Islands, okay, so islands in the Marshall Islands, in support of the landings. She sailed to Wuji after replenishing at the island of Marjoro. I do apologize for butchering all these names to anybody who's from the Marshall Islands or knows how to pronounce these names, uh, on February 20th, 1944. She also shelled New, Ire New Ireland and Carvcavenig Island in the coming month. The practice for the attack on the Mariana Islands was conducted in the Aussie-held Solomon Islands, for which USS New Mexico sailed to participate in the training. 
However, she stopped in Sydney on the way there, which is kind of interesting because I looked up where the Solomon Islands are in relation to where the Marshall Islands are, and you'd think it'd be closer to go to the Solomon Islands directly instead of stopping in Sydney, but uh, I guess I'm not going to judge. After that, USS New Mexico bombarded Tinian, Saipan, and Guam in June for quite a long time and spent a lot of money in shells doing so. On June 18th, two air attacks were sighted by U.S. ships and driven off by New Mexico's all-powerful anti-aircraft armament. Uh, yeah, more on that later. Uh, New Mexico was also charged with escort duty. Woohoo, fun. <laughs> Where she babysat transports off the Mariana Islands and again escorted troop transports to Naval Station and it would talk. Okay, Eni, we talk? Uh, yeah, okay, Eni, we talk. And she escorted escort carriers, um, juxtaposition there, uh, from July 9th through July 12th, 1944. She then shelled Guam again continuously for over a week, from July 21st to July 30th. So, um, common theme here, shelling and escorting. I think that's just kind of the life of a battleship. Overhauled once again, like, again at Bremerton, Washington, in October and November of 1944, after the invasion of the Marianas Islands, New Mexico steamed for Laite Gulf to guess what? Guess what she did? Any guesses out there? Yeah, yeah, she escorted things again. She fended off air attacks that were apparently dailing, according to accounts, or eyewitness accounts. And it sounds like the Japanese were throwing a lot of planes at what seems to be an anti-aircraft wall, but you never know. Oh wait, they were putting up a, quote, putting up a fierce resistance of the liberation of the Philippines, end quote. You know, I'd just be curious to see how many anti-aircraft shells were fired in all of World War II, because we seem to be fending off a lot of Japanese air attacks. I guess we learned our lesson after Pearl Harbor and their subsequent air attacks were... Uh, less than totally successful. Anyways, she then sailed to Palu to join up with an escort of convoy, convoy to Mindoro. Mindoro, yeah, I got that right. Okay, good. Uh, which is a large island in the Philippines. And she started escorting on December 2nd. After that was completed, she sailed back to Palu. Palu? Yeah, I think I got that. Alright, so 1944, again, very eventful in terms of, well, I guess all that a battleship can hope for after carrier aircraft were invented. But hey, at least it's something. So, coming in 1945, even more exciting events, or at least I would say two exciting events. So next up is the liberation of Luzon, the largest Filipino island. Prior to the invasion, she took part in the Lingagan, yeah, Ling... Lingagan Gulf shelling on January 6, 1945. USS New Mexico came under heavy fire from kamikazes during the shelling. While her anti-aircraft artillery is very good, for, especially for a battleship of her age, it became overwhelmed by the sheer number of aircraft coming her, and one managed to, a direct hit to the bridge and killed 30 people, including the commanding officer and British Lieutenant General Herbert Lumsden. 89 more people were injured, and the commander of the British Pacific Fleet was almost killed in the same instant, but was spared. Rumor has it that he had just exited the bridge before the kamikaze's impact to go have a conversation with someone else. 
I can't confirm that rumor, but it seems kind of lucky. Anyways, well that's very surprising indeed. The ship's company rapidly put band-aids on the damage, and the guns continued to fire on the beaches, so it was only a marginally effective kamikaze strike because the Japanese shore units were still coming un under 14-inch 50 caliber shells. Repairs were completed at Pearl Harbor, and USS New Mexico set sail for the island of Uthini. Seriously, Pacific Highlanders, what is with these names? I'm sorry, but that's hard to pronounce. <laughs> like, please, give me a break. Like, did they know podcasters were going to try and pronounce their names at some point? Oh, jeez. Okay, back to history. Yes, I will finally get back to that. Uh, anyways, in Uthili, she was assigned to Task Force 54, where she was tasked with bombarding and otherwise supporting the invasion of Okinawa. She first opened fire on March 26, 1945. While bombarding on May 11th, yes, it was a few months before they were finally finished with Okinawa, she was approached eight times by Japanese Shinyo suicide boats. All eight were sunk with no damage dealt to New Mexico. There's a score for New Mexico. Japanese suicide boats, zero. New Mexico, eight. <laughs> okay, bad jokes aside. Uh, the same could not be said for the following day, however. Just after sunset on May 12, 1945, she was attacked and struck by a kamikaze, and another kamikaze hit her with a bomb. Fifty-four sailors died and 119 were injured, and fires broke out on board. Damage control teams extinguished the fires within 30 minutes, however, and she was allowed to go for repairs at Laite on May 28th and rehearsed for an invasion of Japan after repairs were complete. However, she was still at Saipan, yes, she had traveled there, I forgot to mention that, when the Japanese finally gave up. She joined the occupation forces at Okinawa and traveled to Tokyo Bay, where the Japanese officially surrendered on board USS Missouri on September 2, 1945. She was in Tokyo Bay until the 6th of September, where she left for Boston. She passed Okinawa and Hawaii before going through the Panama Canal for the final time. She reached Boston on October 17, 1945. She was decommissioned on July 19, 1946, and was struck from the Naval Register on February or 25th, excuse me, 1947. She was sold to the Lipset Division of Luria Brothers for $381,600 for the purpose of scrapping. So, you might be thinking that, yep, this is the end of everything interesting, it's just going to get scrapped, and be recycled into Pepsi bottles, and, or Pepsi bottles, excuse me, Pepsi cans. Pepsi bottles are made of glass, yes, I know that. Um, and that will be the end of USS New Mexico. You'd say that, and you'd be wrong. Newark, New Jersey was chosen as the location for scrapping because it was in close proximity to the rail lines, and... Uh, scrapped or metal that was taken off of USS New Mexico could be easily transported out by rail, and easily by, I mean that by cheaply. But while being towed to Newark, New Jersey to be scrapped, New Mexico was caught in a squall and the tow lines were cut. She drifted for a day before being found by a Coast Guard aircraft. She was then towed back to Newark and was blockaded outside of the city by the city's fireboats. Kind of unusual, but the city actually had a reason behind this. 
So the city of Newark, New Jersey had gone under a fairly expensive modification program or beautification program, as they called it, to make the city more livable and give them a reason to basically increase their taxes. And the site of USS New Mexico, this dirty, rusty battleship, in their harbor being slowly dismantled by was not exactly what they had in mind for a beautification program. So they were like, um, no, and sent the fireboats out to block the tugs. And turns out the city actually had a good reason for blocking this ship, because along with this ship, Lipset was also going to bring in ex-USS Idaho and ex-USS Wyoming for scrapping. And the sight of three dreadnoughts being slowly dismantled by very dirty scrappers. It's horrifying to the city planners, and they were just not going to have it. The Coast Guard said, these battleships get into your city, or we're going to use any force necessary to get them into your city. And the disagreement escalated very quickly. So the Navy then came in and brought all sides to a bargaining table. They essentially said, we're going to figure this out diplomatically without anybody losing any limbs or getting hurt in any form. And they finally agreed that Lipset had nine months to dismantle all three dreadnoughts or they would be fined up to $1,000 a day after their deadline. Lipset agreed and all three battleships were dismantled before the deadline. New Mexico was finally scrapped by July of 1948 and ceased to exist. Although the two ship's bells were donated to the state of New Mexico, and I forget where they are uh, right now, but they still do exist in, uh, I think, two town plazas. No, no, a museum and a town plaza. Kind of interesting, but that is the story of USS New Mexico. I'll be back with the World of Warships doppelganger of USS New Mexico right after a message from this episode's sponsor. Welcome back to Rank Amateur. I appreciate you staying through that quick ad break I had. And now we are on to the World of Warships version of USS New Mexico. I'll just go over some basic stats of the ship real quick. Alright, so USS New Mexico sits at tier 6. She has 48,200 hit points. And by the way, I'm doing everything that is stock. She has 356mm 50 caliber Mark 7 guns in 4x3 turrets. Actually, no. Uh, 3 guns per 4 turrets. Rate of fire is 1.75 shots per minute. Reload time is 34.2 seconds. The rotation speed is 3 degrees per second which makes for 180 degree turn time is 60 seconds, which is horrific. Firing range is 14.62 kilometers. Oh my god. It's so bad, it's not even funny. Like, even at top configuration, it's only 16 kilometers. So yes, you're going to take that artillery platygram, but more on that later. For, so 14.62 kilometers stock. Maximum dispersion, 220 meters. That's pretty terrible for tier 6. And that stays the same no matter what things you do. Well, actually, you know what? You can improve it slightly, but really not that much. Her HE shells, 356 millimeter, Mark 22. Maximum HE shell damage is 5,000, which isn't too bad, actually. Chance of fire on target caused by HE shell, 30%. That's actually pretty good. 
Initial HE shell velocity, 861 meters a second. Eh, eh nothing right home about there. HE shell weight, 570.34 kilograms. AP shell is 356 millimeter AP Mark 16. Maximum EP shell damage, 10,500. That's respectable. It really is respectable. H or excuse me, AP shell weight, 680.4 kilograms. Her secondary armament, pretty bad. It really is pretty bad. Even in top configuration, yeah. I don't even think it's worth mentioning. Uh, but I guess we will. So 127 millimeter, 25 caliber Mark 19 Mod 6 guns, eight by one. So eight, there's eight guns in one turret each, or one per turret. And four on each side. Firing range is only four kilometers. Rate of fire, 13.33 shots per minute. Reload time, 4.5 seconds. HE shell, 127 millimeter, Mark 36. Maximum HE shell damage, 1,800. It's like a tier one destroyer there. <laughs> Not impressive at all. Initial HE shell velocity is 657 meters a second. So, uh, yeah, that's very, very bad. I think some baseball pitchers can uh, throw faster than that. Chance of fire on target caused by Ichi shell, 9%. Eh, nothing to write home about. Her AA defense is pretty good. One of the AA guns is a 12.7mm Browning M2 Mod 2. 12x1 pieces, so that's going to be 12 guns, each mounted in their own turret. Average damage per second, 45.6. Firing range, 1.2 kilometers. So there's your close range. Now your longer range is 127 millimeter, 25 caliber, Mark 19, Mod 6. If you remember, that's remarkably similar. Yeah, because it's the secondary battery. It's a dual-purpose secondary battery. Uh, eight by one pieces, so that means you're gonna have eight guns each ranged in their own turret, four on each side. Average damage per second, 58.4. Firing range, 4.2 kilometers. Eh, it, it's not too bad, but it does do a pretty pretty respectable amount of damage. I mean, nothing like to write home about, nothing like Texas, even though that's tier five, but nothing to write home about. But it'll keep the ship protected at same tier aircraft carriers. So maneuverability, maximum speed, 18.48 knots stock. Horrid. Yeah, this thing, like, I can walk faster than it. Like, I went on a bike ride yesterday, 27 mile bike ride. My average speed was about the same as this ship. It was ridiculous. Now, if you do upgrade that, I recommend getting that after your, your uh, main firing mod. You'll have 21 knots of speed. Turning circle radius is 640 meters, but that's top. Let's go back to stock. Yeah, it's still 640 meters. Rudder shift time is 17.4 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, rudder shift time's not great, but the turning circle radius is pretty good. Concealment. Surface detectability range 14.22 kilometers, which is not all that far off your main firing range. Yeah, actually, it's only 0.4 of a kilometer around there. It's, it's very, very poor. So, let's just read the pros that World of Warships wiki lists. Good shell velocity, yes, we touched on that. It's pretty good. Very well armored if angled properly. Keyword there, angled properly. Angle, angle, angle in this ship. It actually plays very similar to the October Revolution, which we went over in the previous episode. 
Good main battery firing angles. Eh, yeah, I guess for this type of ship, yeah, it's got pretty good main battery firing angles. Not quite as good as October Revolution from last episode, but it's okay. Exceptional torpedo protection. Yes, it really does have that good torpedo protection. At the moment, it escapes me how much damage reduction it has, but I believe it's in like the 30% range, so it's pretty good. Especially since this ship is um, not exactly the last word in uh, maneuverability, that will really help you out. Respectable anti-aircraft protection for tier 6, yes I would agree with that. Tight turning circle radius for a battleship, yeah, it's pretty good, I would agree with that. Main battery has 12 barrels. Well you don't sigh! I do believe it just said that up there. Bad British accent aside, yes, it does have 12 barrels. That is good. That's not super spectacular. Other, other battleships have that, but okay. Good concealment for a battleship. For a battleship, it's okay. Sure. Cons, poor turret traverse. Yes, these are just horribly slow turning turrets. They just... It's like, keep your enemy on one side of you or use the rudder to turn the turrets around because the, the turrets may as well be fixed in place because they don't turn around that well. Poor main battery accuracy, yeah, that's really frustrating. Probably the most frustrating aspect about this ship is how bad the accuracy is on this ship. And it just seems to be like RNG's play toy here. He just loves to mess with the accuracy. Like, you'll have a broadside cruiser at a range of like 10 kilometers, like something that a battleship should just Take, slap, and steal damage. You're like printing your own damage outputs here. But no, it just refuses to do anything you want it to. I tried ripple firing the guns to get it to be more accurate. It just seems to make it worse for whatever reason. Theoretically, it should be more accurate, but no, it's not. Just just know that with this ship that it's nothing spectacular as far as accuracy. And extending the range with the spotter plane only makes it worse, obviously. But it's... Not going to hit anything at any remote amount of range. Slow made battery reload. It's like 34 seconds. Yeah, 34.2 seconds. That's pretty bad. I mean, it's only like 4 seconds or 4.2 seconds off of most battleships. But now you're starting to get into the ranges where you'll face battleships that have like 25 second reloads and less. Eh, yeah, no. Not not cool. Not cool at all. Weak secondary armament. Yeah, it's just not worth mentioning. Like, I think a nerf gun has more punch than uh, the main battery does. Or main battery, excuse me. Secondary battery. It's really nothing special. Pedestrian speed, even slower acceleration. Yeah, don't even bother, bother with any of the speed flags or anything like that. Because it's just, it's, it's really like, peeing on a house fire. It's really not going to do anything. It's just going to waste your flags. Large superstructure. Yep, this superstructure takes HE damage like you wouldn't believe. It's a destroyer's paradise to shoot at. So research. Yeah, World of Warships wiki has New Mexico Hull B as being the first thing to take, then propulsion mod, then gunfire control system, Mark 6 mod 2. Um, I take propulsion first is what I took. Just because, or at least when I unlocked this ship, I free up speed propulsion because I thought, well, this ship is so slow, it's not even going to be able to get around the battlefield at 18 knots. And that's an approach you can take. Uh, and that approach will work pretty well, especially if you have enough free XP to free XP that um, gunfire control system 
which is absolutely essential because of the horridness of the main battery. But that's just, I guess, going to put some more range on your gun, so unless you have artillery plotting room, which we'll get to the upgrades later, it's not going to do much for you. And I, I don't really see any problems with taking B-Hall first, because it does get you that extra hit points, but I personally didn't. So optimal configuration, I believe I have the same configuration as World of Warships wiki, which I didn't look at the wiki before I took the... Um, the upgrades, but they're the same, so I guess that just where we agree. Main armaments, modification one and slot one, that's pretty much universal for everything unless you're a destroyer. Damage control systems, modification one and slot two, yeah. Less than fire damage taken, yeah, I would agree with that, especially since you got that large superstructure, you're going to take a lot of high explosive sh shells that will set fires. Artillery plotting room, modification one in slot three. Yeah, that increases your range and gives secondaries a slight boost in range and accuracy. I would definitely do that since the range is only like 14 kilometers and some cruisers would, or actually most cruisers would laugh at that. I would definitely take that. Steering gears modification one allows for a faster rudder shift, a better dodge incoming fire is what they have in slot four. I did not take that. I took the damage control modification two because it's going to reduce that uh, flooding recovery time and the fire recovery time, which I think is valuable, especially since you don't have that damage control that you do on the Russian battleships. I just like to get rid of the fires quicker, but it's kind of whatever floats your boat, except for that propulsion mod one, because that will increase or decrease the time it takes to reach maximum speed, which isn't very high, and the acceleration is really bad. So it's really not going to do you much, and I don't recommend taking that upgrade over what you can get with steering gears or damage control. Okay, on to captain skills. Unfortunately, my captain, I think, is only a 7-point captain on this ship because I'm still grinding through this ship, but I currently have preventative maintenance on him. I have priority target on him. I have incoming fire alert. I put that on this captain a while ago when I was still new with World of Warships, and yeah, it's not super important. I don't put it on my captains anymore because I want to get the higher skills. I have expert marksman, which is really, really important for that main battery traverse because it's so horrifically bad. You're going to want that. I have adrenaline rush because you're probably going to take a lot of damage in this ship, so having that extra... Uh, skill reduces your reload as you're taking damage, which I value a lot. And I don't have superintendent, but that's pretty valuable. If I'm, That's the next skill that I'm going to get. Basics firing training. Yeah, you can get that. But you're going to want the fire prevention first because that's so much more valuable to you. And since this is a reasonably stealthy battleship and it takes a lot of damage and you can get easily overextended in it, I do recommend getting Concealment Expert, so it's a little bit easier for you to fall off detection. I mean, it is a battleship, and it's a slow one, so you can be pursued by pretty much anything, but that is pretty valuable. Okay, so now on to how this thing plays. I remember uh, your Peacekeeper, who has the YouTube channel Whiskey's Gaming Lounge, said that this was his favorite battleship in the battleship that he would want to visit if it still existed today and yeah this can be a good ship especially 
when you get that rare satisfying blow to some other cruiser that decides to pop out in front of you and you just wipe his butt from the map. But I find this ship exceedingly frustrating to play. Just because of the wonky accuracy at range, you, you can't hit anything. So what's the solution then? Well, you might say just get closer to him. Yeah, well, you don't have good secondary batteries, so good luck trying to fend off a destroyer. But that's not necessarily a problem if the destroyers are more occupied with cruisers that are with you. But she can get easily overextended. And because of the slow speed of the ship, you'll find yourself caught in a situation or a sticky situation that you want to get out of. And you can't because the speed's so slow, anything on the enemy team is easily capable of catching you. And that's a quick trip to port. And the bow armor is capable of being overmatched by even just 380mm guns. Which is a lot of battleships that this thing is going to face. So that's a little frustrating sometimes. But when you're angled, it tends to bounce a lot of shots. And that's a real benefit to this ship is the fact that it has such a heavy amount of armor that it will it can take damage reasonably well. But if it's caught broadside on, it's not going to be cool. And it, like I, I touched on before, it gets overextended easily if you're pushing the flank too hard, which I don't recommend flanking on this thing. But if you're pushing the flank too hard and all of a sudden the cruisers that are with you or something or the battleships that are with you get sunk and you're stuck on that flank, it really can't hold its own. It's one of the few battleships I feel can't really hold a flank on its own. It needs some variety of assistance, whether that be spotting assistance, like a destroyer that's sitting out there spotting for you, maybe taking care of the smaller ships that might come your way, or if it's a cruiser that's kind of acting as bait for you. One tactic that, that I found is kind of interesting is telling your teammates to go maybe into Bravo. Let's say it's a domination mode. So you have the three caps and... You go to, let's say, C cap, and you say, well, go in between C and B cap to the rest of your team. You act as that diversion for the enemy team because they're like, wait, Mexico on the flank. Quick, shoot at him. Shoot at him while you can. Look at this stupid person. And then you can get your teammates to flank around the enemy as they're coming after you and hopefully take them out. That's very circumstantial and only works in certain circumstances. So not, a set, not necessarily a good tactic, especially if your teammates are into like doing things that they want to do. Uh, New Mexico is better as a supporting ship. And a supporting ship it pretty much only is because it doesn't like getting shot at that much. It'll take the battleship shells from long range that land around it or land on its belt and bounce. But close range is where this thing excels, which is kind of interesting because the... The secondary batteries are so terrible on this ship, and you can get caught overextended. So my question is how you play this ship good. And I play this ship medium range, pretty much only medium range. When it gets anything close to close range, I try to turn around and kite away. But then when you try cutting away, it's not like a cruiser where you can avoid the incoming shells with your rudder shift because the rudder shift is 17 seconds, which isn't that bad for a battleship. But hey, it's still a battleship. It's moving really slowly, and you just eat a ton of damage through the stern of your ship, and that's kind of it for you. You get sunk pretty easily in this ship. That's what I find that's really frustrating. Okay, 
So you're thinking, okay, this is such a terrible ship. How do I manage to get through it without losing every single battle and tanking my win rate and damage per battle? Well, that's funny you should ask, because there's re really... Whatever works for you is the best thing that you can do. What works for me is really just supporting my team at medium range, so I'll follow as close as I can to the cruisers that and destroyers that go in first, uh, because they're a lot faster than you. So they'll go in first and then spot targets for you to fire at. And that way you reduce the damage taken by you because the cruisers are most likely to get shot at first or the destroyers. Well, actually, destroyers are probably not going to get spotted. But I found very minimal success holding flanks. Or, hold, yeah, holding flanks by myself is not fun. I had a battle the other day where I actually commend the ship on how long it lasted, but it was just me and one cruiser holding an entire flank, and the cruiser got sunk. And, oh no, actually, it was a Visby. It was a Visby, and he was doing his best, but his concealment super bad. He got spotted by aircraft and just wiped from the map, so I'm forced to spot my own targets. There's a Perth spotting me, and uh, a Leon, a Bayern, and a Koenig shooting at me. The latter of the two are very, very heavily armored German battleships, which are extremely hard to deal damage to in anything but, like, planking at them at close range. So it was very difficult. I actually almost managed to take the Leon with me, but he went behind an island, got a heal off, and then that was the end of me because I then only had the two Germans to shoot at, which I'm dealt massive amounts of damage to them, but not before they could take me out. And I was extremely frustrated at my team because they were a bunch of window lickers and decided to go on the other flank and find two enemy cruisers, immediately stop in their place, and shoot at the cruisers while forgetting about the other flank that I was trying to hold. And then they captured our base and we lost. So that's the frustrating thing about the ship is most battleships can kind of kind of hold the flank until enemy support can or, or friendly support, not enemy support, friendly support can arrive and assist you. It really can't. It doesn't last that long. It really doesn't. I was surprised at how long it lasted this time, but that health just seems to go down really fast, especially for an American battleship. So, overall thoughts on this ship. She's marginally okay marginal not not very good at all one of those ships that you just kind of grind through and forget about because you didn't really enjoy it i'm really looking forward to the colorado because it's got those 16 inch guns and you can overmatch most cru cruisers bioplating at tier i would re really recommend keeping your eyes on the prize and just kind of patiently going through this to get to the colorado and be done with it because eh, i don't really like it it's not that fun it's really frustrating when you have these cruisers who are broadside, and you've got these huge guns. Or they're 14-inch guns, they're not that big. But relatively respectable guns, and a lot of them, but you just can't land any of them on target, so you do negligible amounts of damage. Wait for the Colorado, support your teammates, and don't go on your own. That's pretty much the story of New Mexico. But anyways, I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please, subscribe, and until next time, captains. Captains.